last week, uh, John began a series called Until He Comes, thinking about the return of Christ and about the temporary nature of life on earth, encouraging us to consider how we can make the most of every opportunity that is before us as we live here on earth, uh, not to waste our time, um, but to be aware that there is a time limit on, on our lives. And as we introduced that series last week, uh, we've come to the conclusion we're going to work through Second uh, Peter over the next number of weeks as a way to help us concentrate our minds on what it means to live on earth while also being conscious of the fact that our lives are heading in a direction and that Christ will return to bring us to his eternal kingdom. Peter talks a lot about that. It's not necessarily a pastoral letter in tone. He's quite forceful at times. He, he's arguing a case because false teachers have uh, slipped into the church and tried to diminish the faith of the people who are there. Uh, false teachers have tried to elevate themselves into a position, and Peter writes this letter to argue against what some false teachers have been saying. And so while it's not pastoral in, in tone, it's maybe more argumentative in tone, it's for our good so that we will hear the clear commitment of Peter to Jesus Christ among a situation where people are trying to creep in and unsettle believers. I hope you find it encouraging. And I've certainly been encouraged by this letter as I've read through it during the week. And uh, we're, this morning, um, we're thinking about the, um, that, that his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We're going to read together Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. This is God's word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption the world has caused by evil, de evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We end there giving thanks to God for his word to us and how he speaks to us today. You've maybe heard a, a message like this before, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we will shortly be beginning our descent into Barcelona Airport. Please make sure your seat back is in the upright position, your seat belt is fastened, your uh, tray table is stowed, your luggage is under the seat or in the uh, overhead bin above you, and uh, 
all that kind of stuff, you know, ready yourself for landing. Shortly, this flight will be over. And it sort of alerts you to the fact that, oh, yes, I'm, I'm not going to be spending two weeks on an airplane. I'm actually heading somewhere. That this uh, journey that I'm on is not the point. That there is a destination in mind. It's the message that prepares you for arrival, prepares you for landing. And there may be some turbulence as we hit the ground and you think, well, that's okay. It will be worth it when I'm lying on the beach. But there's going to be turbulence. And uh, the whole purpose of being on the plane is arrival at some destination. The, the journey is necessary and the, you know, the restricted legroom, which is a particular problem for me, is, is something that I'll deal with uh, for a short period of time because eventually you're hoping to land. You, you want to hear, welcome to Barcelona. It's 39 degrees. The time is 11.34. You're like, yes, that's what this was all about. That's why I paid three pounds for a bottle of Coke. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, there was a point in this. It was unpleasant. It was difficult, but... Um, it, it, it was worth it. And, and Peter's second letter is full of warnings about, about the journey. He, he writes to say, it's tough, there's persecution, and there's loads of instruction about how we should live as Christian people. It, it's hard to pin down the exact church or group of churches that, that he's writing to. We, we have a vague kind of idea of who they are and, and what they're going through. But we can, we can learn a lot simply just by reading through the letter and hearing the kinds of things that he says to them because we can work out, well, that must be their situation. They must be experiencing persecution because he writes to them about hard times. And we can learn a lot as we listen to what is said here. If you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome, not to Barcelona, but into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's writing to people in a temporary situation to prepare them for an eternal situation, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the deeply encouraging things in, in this letter is that he speaks of the sufficiency of Jesus and how sufficient Christ will be for the journey. You, you, you'll not need to go outside of him to get through life. You'll not need to go outside of Jesus to become godly or to become mature. It seems that in this temporary situation, false teachers have noticed that the church is under pressure, that individual Christians are having a hard time, and they've seized the opportunity to make a quick buck. They've seized the opportunity through greedy motives to think, well, those guys are under pressure. I could maybe make some money out of them if I said, I know you're having a hard time, but if you pay me, I will be able to help you to do this or that. They're, they're greedy. They're sexually immoral. They're liars. And, and the church is being led astray into sexual immorality, into paying false teachers. And, and the church is really vulnerable to being mistreated because they're under so much pressure that they're willing to hear the advice or instruction of anyone to get through. And in verse three, Peter says, his Christ's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. These Christians were in the church under pressure, feeling deficient, like they don't measure up. You, you know what that feels like. Maybe you've been working in the same job for a long period of time and your company decides to bring in a consultant for a staff training day 
and you gather in the room and they, this consultant comes in with their fancy computer and presentation and shows you really how you should have been doing your job for the last you know, 20 years. And all of a sudden you think, well, the way I've been doing it doesn't really measure up, doesn't really count for anything and, and you feel a bit deficient. Or maybe, you know, think of a more simple uh, example. I remember when we had, Rachel and I had just become parents and James was really young and he was really difficult to feed. And Rachel had left me with him for like maybe like three minutes or something. And I, I was panicking, right? He was really just not taking his bottle. And uh, someone we knew quite well called at the house. This woman called at the house. She had three grown-up children. I was really struggling to feed him. And I was like, it's really good to see you at this opportune moment when I'm struggling to feed this child. And I feel really like hopeless. And she continued to talk and continued to talk. And she dropped off a present. I was trying to be really nice. I was thinking, right, please go. Um, and then, then she could see that I was really struggling, I think, because the sweat was breaking on my brow. And she said, perhaps I could feed him. I was like, fine. <laughs> and James, like, he's my hero. He wouldn't take the ball for her either. I was like, yes. But in, in that moment, I felt deficient. I still remember feeling like I'm totally hopeless at this. And here's this experienced mom in, in my living room. And the church felt deficient, felt like, well, we don't really measure up. We're not really that godly. And the apostle Peter writes to them to encourage them, a church under pressure. Their faith was under scrutiny. Like I was under scrutiny. Am I holding the bottle right? They're thinking, are we holding our faith right? Are we doing this right? These false teachers had elevated themselves to positions of false importance And this little church is like, am I even a Christian? Do we even really follow Jesus? And the whole tone of the false teachers was superior and demeaning. And and these Christians were so vulnerable to an advertising campaign that offered Christianity 2.0, digitally remastered for the present age. And notice how Peter begins the letter. He says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. You're on equal footing with the apostles if you know Jesus. If you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've received a faith that's as precious as mine. What do you mean? If I know Jesus, I'm just like Peter? Yes. And Paul, all those guys, Yes, that's what Peter's saying. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are on equal footing. You you have a sufficient relationship to equip you and enable you to face anything that comes your way. You want godliness, you need to know Jesus. You want to get through your present circumstances that you're facing right now, the difficulties that you're experiencing right now, you need to know Jesus. Holiness is possible through him, it's not possible outside of him. Living as a Christian in these exact set of circumstances is possible if you know Jesus Christ. The power for obedience comes to you through Jesus. His promises are enough to sustain you. Knowing Jesus will sustain you in your life right now. What does God promise us? He doesn't guarantee that you'll be CEO of a Fortune 500 company. 
He doesn't promise or guarantee that you will get a first-class honors in your degree. He doesn't guarantee you a husband or a wife or children. He doesn't guarantee you a life free from divorce. He doesn't guarantee you a life free from redundancy. He doesn't guarantee you a life free from difficulty. He doesn't promise that you will play Premier League football. He doesn't promise us any of these things. He doesn't promise us a life free from sickness or pain or discomfort. But he does guarantee, he does promise that he will be enough for you whatever comes your way. Whatever you experience, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and Godliness, where do we get the power? Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Knowing Jesus is power. Because if you know Jesus and you see how he endured hardship, then that empowers you. If you know Jesus and you see how God was able to sustain him through the rejection of his family, through the denial of his closest friends, through being put to death on a cross and being placed in a tomb. And that even through that, God the Father was able to sustain his son so that on the third day he would rise again victorious over the grave. I think God, is in, God the Father is enough for Jesus the Son and, and I, I know Jesus. I have that power available to me through a relationship with him. That enables you to experience and endure rejection to enable and experience suffering, to be, to be able to cope with illness, to be sustained even in grief because we worship a God who is familiar with grief and it did not overcome him. Knowing that his father brought him through it all should equip us and enable us to endure all things. Knowing Jesus is power and so I encourage you to get to know him. Friday morning was a very cold morning. If you can remember back to Friday morning, I uh, looked out the window and our footpath was white. The car windscreen was frozen solid. And uh, my mum hates it when it's like that. She fell and broke her wrist many years ago. And now she's nervous about going out in the ice. And I, I knew that on a Friday morning she has to go out first thing in the morning. So I did my good uh, duty as a son on a Friday morning. Uh, I went to her house, de-iced the car, and uh, salted a path from her front door to, to where the, the car was parked. There's a little bin at the front door with salt in it and a little scoop, and I kind of scooped it, just that short path to the car. And it occurred to me that I'd never had to uh, you know, go and buy salt, that the salt had always been there. I'd got it from the shed in the back garden and placed it in the bin and kind of replaced a number of bags. And I thought, never had to buy salt. And it occurred to me, who bought the salt? My dad. My dad bought the salt. My dad died in August 2013. This is January 2020. I reckon there's probably enough salt in there to do the Glen Sheen Pass, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, that's madness. It's 2020, and there's still salt to do this job. And I thought about the provision of my father to, to, to create a pathway uh, for my mum. And, and it occurred to me 
And it should occur to you that we have a father in heaven who is greater than any earthly father who, who will make a way for us no matter what the weather's like in all days, in every situation. There's not a situation that you will encounter that God will look at your life and say, I don't really know what to do here. I haven't thought of that. He is able to sustain you and to make a path for you, to make provision for you, no matter what kind of conditions you find yourself in. Your Father in heaven has given you a relationship with Jesus, his Son, and knowing Jesus makes a difference. Grants you power. God promises to be with you at all times. I, I was really encouraged by what Kevin DeYoung says about uh, this passage. He says, don't expect God to give you more than he has promised. Don't expect God to give you more than he has promised, but trust that he will always give you all that he has promised. He will be true to his word. He will give you all that he has promised. That, that's par for obedience. That's part to say, I don't need to stray outside the will of God or the ways of God in order to get the life that he has designed for me. Why would I commit adultery? Why would I feel the need to do that if I know that his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness? Why would I need to gamble? Why would I need to get drunk? Why would I need to steal and take what is not mine if his divine power has provided for me? Why would I need to slander another person so that I look good and they look bad? If God is the one who writes the story of my life and he is sufficient for me, I don't need to trample on anyone. I don't need to run anyone else down or retell the story in a good light so that I look well. Last Saturday, I ran a bit of a park run in Carrickfergus, and Robbie was playing football at the time. And I only did two laps of a three-lap race because I thought his football was going to finish, and I wasn't going to be there to pick him up. And as soon as I arrived at the football, one of the other dads said, your wee fella just scored an absolute screamer, and I had missed it. <laughs> he came off the pitch, and he said, Dad, did you see my goal? Right, Christian pastors should not lie, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, no, Robbie, I didn't. And I felt terrible. I thought, he's going to have to learn to be disappointed by me. He should know by now, right? I will disappoint him. Telling the truth will disappoint people. Telling the truth will make you look not as good as you want to look. And people will be disappointed. And we can point them to a father who will never disappoint them, who will always keep his word. You know, you and I have a father who never misses a moment of our lives, who sees when you score a screamer, but who also sees when you're at your worst. And he loves you and knows you in those experiences. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And Peter encourages the church to know Jesus as their sufficiency. Jesus is sufficient for you. But, but more than that, and just kind of quickly, 
He wants them to know Jesus as their stability too, that he will make you stable in, a, in an unstable world. Verse 10 says, therefore, my dear brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things, you will never fall. You will never fall. That these things that Peter is talking about are the qualities that he's listed in the first chapter. He's saying, you know, add goodness to your life, add knowledge to your life, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Make these things part of your character. Make this your behavior. And it's these aspects of the Christian life that will enable you to ensure that, that knowing Jesus is fruitful and productive and, and counts. It will not be wasted time. You'll not be in some spiritual waiting room with the posters curling off the wall and out of date copies of Ulster Tatler sitting on the table and like off coffee or whatever else is, you know, in a broken abacus thinking, get me out of here. This waiting room's horrendous. God wants you to lean into the life that he's given you to say, to see that there's a purpose in it, to see that there's a reason for your existence right now. Not just to check your watch to say, is Jesus coming back because I want this all to be over. He wants you to live a fruitful and productive life. God has a purpose for your life, a plan for your life. And knowing Jesus should motivate you and encourage you to, to trust him, to bring an eagerness to do all that God has given you to do. A desire to lean forward into him rather than shrinking back. Uh, this Christmas, Rachel got me uh, a book by James Milner, the former Manchester City player, and now playing for the uh, team that's right at the top of the Premier League, Liverpool. And in that book, it's, uh, he, he answers questions. It's called Ask a Footballer. So it's not, it's not like a typical autobiography. It's just like people have tweeted him questions, and he responds to the questions about um, playing under different managers and playing with different people and what's it like to play with Balotelli and all that kind of stuff. It's quite fascinating, but it's different from a typical autobiography. And in an early chapter on nutrition and fitness, someone asked him, how do you split your days in the gym? And he said, I just want to be strong enough to make me a better player, which helps when you're off balance and things like that. It's more important to concentrate on your core strength. Football isn't like golf, where you have to be strong in a fixed position and you need to be strong in a certain action that you repeat again and again. You're more likely to be off balance or trying to hold someone off. So you need to have the core strength to be able to deal with that. I want to say to you this morning, Christianity is a contact sport. People bump into you. Stuff arrives in your life and knocks you sideways. Things you didn't anticipate. People say stuff about you or to you. Things arrive on your plate that you had no idea were coming and you think, how am I supposed to deal with this? And Peter becomes our condition and our strength coach to say, we need a core stability. We need qualities in our life that will enable us to live in all sorts of circumstances. You see, Peter knows what it's like to be knocked off balance. He knows what it's like to try and hold off the evil one. And, and feel. Peter knows what it is to be an unstable person. Though none go with me, still I will follow Jesus. I will never deny you. Well, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. He's so fickle. Peter knows what it is to fall and still finish well. And that's encouraging, isn't it? 
that, that, it's, that the Bible says to us, you can fall and you can still finish well. You can be an unstable person, but be transform, transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. You can be knocked down, but the power of God will get you back on your feet again. No matter what temptation you've given into, no matter what has happened this week, no matter what you're ashamed of or embarrassed about, there is hope for you because of the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. To bring the inconsistency of your speech before God and say, make my words truthful. To bring the inconsistency of your life before Jesus and say, make my life consistent. Peter had fallen so badly, so publicly, so embarrassingly, that he could easily have come to the conclusion that he was too far back in the race and Jesus was too far ahead and no matter how fast he would run, he would never catch up with Jesus. I've never had the opportunity of being in relationship with Jesus again. He's miles ahead of me and my life is a mess, but the faithfulness of Jesus stabilized even a fickle guy like Peter. Listen to the angel who speaks to the two women at Jesus' empty tomb. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You see, Peter could maybe think, yeah, the disciples, but am I still in that group because you know what I've done? Everybody knows what I've done. Do I count? Am I really a Christian? Is my faith on the same standing as theirs? Will Jesus want to see me? Yeah, the disciples, but am I in that group? And God makes provision so that Peter knows that his falling is not final. That the faithfulness of Jesus is the final thing over his life. Yes, we're all fickle. Falling isn't final. The ability of Jesus to bring stability to your life is incredible. The faithfulness of Jesus is so powerful that your fickleness cannot overcome it. David Helm says this, you can wipe out and still be restored. You can have regrets and yet know what it is to be rescued by Christ. And Peter says, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. He will hold you fast. His mercy is new every morning. Uh, this week, a bulb blew in our kitchen, just above our kitchen table at the early part of the week, and I called into Andy's stores to get a replacement bulb. And because I'm not really a man and don't really know exactly what kind of bulb I need to ask for, I bring the broken one, say, can you just get me one of those, please? Give it to the person behind the counter. And uh, they walked along the, uh, at the shelf and looked up, and I could see what was happening because they kind of held the bulb up and went, and there was a gap in the shelf where our bulb should be. And I knew what this meant. And they said, I'm sorry, we're out of that bulb, but um, there's a delivery tomorrow, and it will be in the delivery. You're probably better leaving it until uh, the day after or the day after just to make sure it's out, to be, just to be safe. So um, we went for a couple of days, plunged into darkness in that you know, section of the kitchen just above the table where the kids do their homework and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we, ha we had to go without 
And then I went, I think it was Thursday, and got the bulb and replaced it, and let there be light. There's now light in our kitchen. And uh, as, as, I'm, as this is happening, I'm, I'm preparing for today and reading Lamentations 3, which says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, there's never a day when you're going to wake up and say, I need mercy, but God's out of it. You never have to be plunged into the darkness of thinking, I have made a mess of my life and God is out of forgiveness. What a privilege we have as the people of God to go to him and know that there's not just going to be salt in the bin, but love for us at all times. What a privileged people we are. And there are so many people living without that knowledge, knowing Jesus is power. And my prayer for you is that you would know that power, that you would know that experience of his abundance, of his sufficiency, and of his love until he comes. That every single day, you would fasten your seatbelt, you would get your tray table stowed, you would get your seat in the upright position and place your confidence in Jesus Christ until he comes. Let's take a moment to pray. Let us pray.